friends, it's us. I am Steph Beagle. And I'm Lauren Abney. And this is Well Behaved. We believe balance is a bit overplayed and way overrated. We've embraced finding our perfect blend of wellness with a twist of tequila. This podcast delivers wellness remixed from face slapping facials to the ABCs of CBD. Living your best life and finding what's right for you is what it's all about. Let's do this. We're here. It's Friday. I'm happy. Oh, I love Fridays. Me too. I'm really not. We know that I'm I'm like a really bad Monday human. Mm. I just don't really love them. I don't. I don't dread them like I used to because we're living our best lives, but I'm just happy it's Friday. Me too. This is, yeah, Mondays are one seventh of your life. So I try to get you not to hate them, yeah. but hate it's is, great to celebrate a Friday. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a great way. Like, let's focus on the positive. We've been very busy in life. You have been like exceptionally busy. It's just nice to see you. Thanks. <laughs> I was just going to say when this episode comes out, so pretend it's right now, yeah. I'm in Dubai. That is like wildly fucked up and I'm so jealous. Are you ready? Zero percent. What are you going to like? Okay, you're not ready. I feel like I know what you're going to do when you get back. I am going (laughs) to clean it up. Yeah. Uh, I will be ordering Saqqara that will deliver the day that I get back. Of course. Uh, Listeners, don't forget. XOWB is our code. You get 20% off. Amazing. Which is like very significant. Super significant. I love Saqqara. And then I have to get it in order because... A week later, we have your bachelorette party. Correct. I can't even like that gives me anxiety to think about. I'm not ready. Basically because of the outfits. Because of the outfits and because of just, you know, money. I think I'm working on drinking less, less mm. tequila. That's not preparation for Eating Miami. less is really not. Yeah, exactly. For I'll probably have like two drinks in Miami and get drunk. But you know what? That's neither here nor there. We talked about a lot of amazing things on this episode. So I want to talk about it. Are you Are you ready? Well, I think I know that you like to talk about one thing specifically. Sex. S-E-X. So my favorite part about about this episode, Jennifer Littner is a sex therapist. She's just a badass, right? And she's really cute too. She's like this adorable human that talks about sex and she speaks about it so eloquently. But the thing I love is that she speaks about it, right? I still feel like there's a stigma. We're very open humans. I think our friends, we try to like empower others to talk about it. It's like talking about anything else in life. I feel like season three is season set. Yeah, totally. It's, I th- our listeners kept asking us for it. And we're like, we're not going to just give it to you. We're going to over deliver. We are going to source some sex. We're going to do it. So yeah, I mean, honestly, like I just want you guys to listen, enjoy, and remember that good or bad, it's totally okay to talk about sex. And if you, and a lot of times I think people think about therapy as something to do when things aren't good, mm. but you can also go to therapy to enhance and to make things even better than they could be. I love that. And I would like to remind everyone that a vagina is actually called a vulva. Right. You were like, I think it's the science in you, but you were like more definition. I was like, describe the vulva. Right. So listen in, folks. Friends, have fun. We are talking about our favorite topic in the world. S-E-X. Yes. And and we don't say it out loud. We only spell it. But we have an incredible, incredible expert in the sex field. I met her at this incredible, let's just use the word incredible 80 times, women's dinner. And it was funny because we started talking. She told me what she did. And I'm like, you're a badass. And like within four seconds, I asked her to be on the podcast. And 
you're here now and we're very grateful. So Jennifer Littner is many things, but she's the founder CEO of Embrace Sexual Wellness. She's a certified sex therapist and human sexuality educator. And what I love is that she helps people who want a more vibrant sex life. I mean, don't we all to speak openly, deepen their connection and like love energetically because we all deserve to be sexually satisfied. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jennifer believes that sex life, the sex life you desire is worth striving for. And we couldn't agree more. So thank you for being here. I will say before we even start, I want to talk to you about like 792 things and so does Lauren, but we're going to try to stay focused and we already want you to come back because we know that this topic is what our people want. Okay. So you are setting the table and we're going to keep it very direct very so focused. that we have round two. So let's talk about sex, baby. How did you get into this space? We like yeah. love, we well, love what you do, but tell us how you got here. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I, um, I fell into the space. Most sexuality professionals, at least those of us who started our career 10 or more years ago, fell into this through some public health initiative, some kind of volunteering, some kind of research, because sex is a protected area and there weren't that many sex therapists available as a career path. So for myself, I was doing um, peer health education. I was doing a lot of sex talks, like how to put on condoms and protect yourself from STIs and college dormitories. And then we got this great grant for students to get HIV testing for free. And I became an HIV tester and facilitated the what was called the post-test counselor. And people would come in and they'd have anxiety about their sex lives, right? Because they either, you know, a condom broke, something happened, a partner um, broke an agreement, related to the relationship commitment, or they were just very nervous because there are a million reasons to be nervous about sex. So I realized that there was not just this, you know, sexual need for people, but also there's all this stuff going on in the relationships. And so sexuality is just so much more than what we're doing with our bodies. And I became really interested and passionate about trying to help people in that arena. So the rest is a lot of training, a lot of school, a lot of supervision, a lot of hours of working, but that's how I fell into this career path. So cool. I mean, it's awesome because it's grounded in help and service and um, everybody has sex. You know, as much as our parents may not even want to like talk about it or use the words or we all have stigma, like everyone has sex. And so that being a vibrant and healthy part of your life, we all want and need that. So you say that uh, or you are a sex therapist. therapist. Yes. What does that mean? Is that typically Mm -hmm. with one person? Is it in partnership? Like what could somebody expect when they go to a sex therapist? Mm -hmm. So a sex therapist is, um, or a certified sex therapist is someone who's done really extensive training in in sexuality and sex therapy, which sex therapy is a process of um, doing talk therapy. It's psychotherapy um, that is really focused on sexuality and sexual functioning concerns. So that could be something related to someone's life transition that is impacting how they're identifying. It could be that they're having pain during sex or they're having challenges with arousal or orgasm or anything or anything related to desire. Um, for most people, they will see either adults that are individuals or um, with their partners. So I work um, predominantly with partners and with individual adults. Um, there are some folks who also specialize in working with adolescents as there are um, sexuality related things that, that can come up during that phase of life as well. But my, I would say my area and many sex therapists are usually with adult clients. Mm, so when you have partners, do you send them home with homework? Yeah. What kind, mm-hmm. of, what kind of homework do they do? 
Let's dive into I give it. Sexy homework. Um, <laughs> so when I give homework, I often, when I'm, I'm not wearing my professor hat, I tell them it's not graded because that there's a lot of pressure, like mm-hmm. especially my highly perfectionistic people. I'm a recovering perfectionist myself. So I totally get this, you know, we just don't want, like want to do the work, but not feel so pressured that we're going to get judged by the therapist, whether we do it or we don't. Um, so the sexy homework can be anything from um, reflecting on something that was talked about in session. It could be practicing a new skill, like a communication skill. It could be a physical touching exercise. It could be, um, you know, I want you to try and self-explore with and take orgasm off the table for that experience. So it could be a lot of different things. It really just depends on what people are working on and making it connected to their goals. So I have a tangent because I love going on tangents. So I feel like this is like the conversation that we've we've heard for so long that so many women don't orgasm or don't actually mm-hmm. have an orgasm. I think it was like once I heard it was 40% mm-hmm. do. I mean, mm-hmm. You could tell mm-hmm. me what stats are, right? But so if, if a woman is coming in and telling you that they don't have orgasms, like mm-hmm. what do you what do you tell them to do? I would like, I'm not, this is, I'm not saying this is not, don't worry, mom, this is not me. <laughs> oh, your mom should know. <laughs> or, or, or I David. Yeah. Or David. Yeah. David, this is not me. Um, I think it's interesting because I think it's like one of those things that is wildly, I think people are wildly nervous to talk about because they're embarrassed. Right. Mm-hmm. But I would love to hear what you, what you tell women specifically. Well, I think first of all, there's, there's no shame in the orgasm game is what I like to say. Like we, people have all different ranges of experience in relation to orgasm. There's a ton of pressure and a lot of like media and just dialect around talking about sex with focus on orgasm and that being the goal. And that's really harmful for a lot of people because then everything is about the orgasm and everything else gets lost. And there's so many ways to experience pleasure that are not just about the orgasm. So I just want to like put that into the universe as well. Um, But it really depends. I think, you know, first we're going to do a really strong assessment and understand, well, what have you tried, right? What are some things, what is your understanding about orgasms? What happens when you're being sexual? Have you explored your own body? Um, What has that been like? Or are you expecting a partner to, you know, get you there and, um, not really giving them any direction about how are you running through your to-do list during sex and you're not really present and that's getting in the way. So there's all kinds of things that I, lots of questions I would be asking, but you know, a lot of, a lot of the challenges with orgasm are people not either knowing their bodies very well, um, whether it be they haven't explored it or they just are struggling with accessing pleasure points. Um, certainly other mental health conditions can play a role, distraction, things like that. And, you know, really, Relational things, trauma is a big one, right? If your body has been violated in some way in the past, it can feel very, very difficult to um, reintegrate and connect back to areas that um, and experience pleasure. So there's there's lots of things that are involved in that, but really um, slowing down and helping people understand like what are sort of the, the root cause and then tailoring those approaches to that. Is there anything to say that it's physical in that some people can and some people can't right, or is it say all from mental a, a yeah. science perspective you love science i love science i also love <laughs> mental a little bit of both yeah so um there's a lot of research that showed that for cisgender women um many about around 30 percent can experience orgasm through vaginal penetration and that means that 70 percent would not be experiencing orgasm that way Whoa. so it's wild when for cisgender women who are having sex with people with penises, right? Then they're 
um, expecting to have an orgasm that way and they're not, that's often not the only way to do it, right? Uh, we know that vulva stimulation externally is really important. We know some people have um, orgasms through nipple stimulation. There's all kinds of ways people can experience erotic sensations, but for the most part, um, vaginal penetration is not going to hmm. be everybody's experience. Holy shit. Wild. <laughs> okay, I want to talk a little bit about vocabulary because you're using mm-hmm. words and I think that there's... She is using words. This is speaking. <laughs> there are... Um, there, the language has changed or evolved, mm-hmm. right? Since the way mm-hmm. that we grew up or the words that we use then. So mm-hmm. cisgendered means... Mm-hmm. Somebody whose gender is um, matches the assignment of their sex at birth. So if someone is born um, and they are assigned sex as female and they identify with as a woman, there's the kind of similarity between their gender uh, identity and their assigned hmm. sex. So that's what we would call cisgender. Somebody who is agender would not have a gender. Somebody who's transgender, their gender is different from their assigned sex at birth. Honestly, that's super helpful. So obviously, helpful. it's like terminology that we understand what it means, but totally. knowing mm-hmm. the definition, I thought God, you were going to ask God, what is a vulva. Well, we're going to ask <laughs> okay. what's a vulva. I thought you were going there too, but you can absolutely get that. Uh, <laughs> the vulva is the anatomy of the genitalia that is in a structure that's a, to a person who's assigned sex as female. So that includes the opening of the introitus, the vagina, that includes the clitoris, the clitoral hood, the mons pubis, the labia, all the different structures oh. that you can see are encompassing on the vulva. So like anytime somebody's talking about the entire assigned female region that's covered by underwear, it's essentially that whole thing is the vulva. And then inside is the clitoris and the labia and and the vagina. What's the vagina then? So the vagina is basically a canal. So if you imagine Mm -hmm. um, a canal that you've driven through or taken a boat through, that's Mm -hmm. just a portal from in your body, in your body. But the vaginal opening is what you can see. Um, Mm -hmm. So people often refer or miss refer to the vulva as the vagina, but really the vagina is just the portal and the opening is part of the vulva, but it's not the whole thing. I wonder how that got so misconstrued. Yeah, right. This is a big difference. I was going to say, it's such a funny thing too. It's like, obviously we just like call the vagina the wrong. I mean, it's like, it's, that's not what it is, but okay, here we are. Now let's talk about peni, (laughs) penises. (laughs) Okay. Is it, is it the same? Like I know we'll say like shaft versus ball. Like, is it the same thing there? Talk to us about the different parts there. Yeah, so we've got the penis, you've got the frenulum, you've got the the shaft, um, got the scrotal sac with the testes. The penis is a little bit less complicated from the outside because people can see everything. So that's part of the reason why I think people are much more apropos to use the word penis as opposed to, I mean, people will say dick and balls and cock and all (laughs) kinds of other words, right? Um, Everyone has a name for their genitals. That's probably not the textbook definition, which is totally cool and fine. Um, But it's it's something that, you know, we can see. And and I think that that has also, there's a whole lot of reasons why that may be uh, Mm -hmm. more common. Mm -hmm. What we're really talking about here is uh, communication and Mm -hmm. uh, I have no doubt that the one of the keys to a healthy 
sexual relationship with oneself and also with their partner is being able to have language around what they Mm -hmm. want, need, desire, don't like. But we're in a world in which sex has been stigmatized. It's been bad. It's been taboo. And so when you're starting to meet with patients, how are you encouraging them to communicate or, you know, release this trepidation around just speaking about sex? Yeah. Well, I think a lot of these kinds of the idea of it being taboo is something that people are taught, right? Nobody comes out of the womb thinking that sex is bad, right? We learn this from the society and the way that we are socialized. And often the systems and the places that are telling us that it is bad are trying to control sex because they're trying to prevent some kind of harm and they're trying to control people from engaging in it. There's lots of ways that that shows up. So one of the things that I often talk about with clients who are experiencing shame related to sex is, you know, their shame responses are showing up exactly as they should be in response to the society and the ways that they were taught. So you thinking sex is taboo, that's exactly what people wanted you to think. You know, you're just falling in line with how other people are showing up. What the problem is not that the person is bad for wanting sex or talking about sex. The problem is the systems and the messages Mm. that told them it was wrong in the first place. That's why dudes are super comfortable talking about sex and being confident about it and like cheering each other on. And women are can be disgraced if they have multiple sexual partners Mm -hmm. or, you know, this is all, we all can understand what this patriarchy is doing for women. Mm -hmm. But I, I think that communication is wild and falling into a place where you can just like be confident and speak about what you need is so empowering. It's awesome. Absolutely. And and it's it's about assertiveness, right? And where do we learn to be assertive when it comes to our sexual needs, right? We, we don't often learn that unless we had assertiveness from some other part of our lives, which some of us as women are able to access. Um, some people don't have those skills, but we have to learn them somewhere. I think professionally mm. um, speaking, more men are taught to be assertive Mm -hmm. than people of any other gender. So, you know, there's patriarchy plays a role in it. Sexual double double standards play a role. You're hitting it on the hail. Hail on the head. I think it's interesting too, because there's like, we always talk about it's like coming into a relationship and and talking about sex and communicating is in your expectations Mm -hmm. and what you want. Then there's also like being in a relationship. Like we have a lot Mm -hmm. of friends and listeners who've been in relationships for five, 10, 15 years. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, you always hear these, you know, we had, we have kids, so we don't have sex. It's like, we've been together for so long, so we don't have sex. It's like, in my mind, I don't, I don't understand that because not interested in that whatsoever. But when it comes to like long-term relationships, what Mm -hmm. tips do you give individuals or couples to like keep that flame alive, stay connected and like continue Mm -hmm. to have sex outside of these variables that don't mean you don't have to have sex, right? Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things that you're talking about with communication, I think is really important and, and aligned with what a lot of the research says is, you know, partnering with people who have similar um, interests in, term, and in terms of sex, in terms of how important that is in their lives. Because if two people are partnered together and sex isn't that important to them, because it's, it's not important to everyone, like everyone has a relationship to sex, but not everyone is like, I have to have sex every week. Um, 
you know, then that may not be a problem for those two people, but it could very well be for people who are not as aligned in that way. So it's just like anything else that you value, like having good communication around that is important. Um, But when you're in a long-term relationship, I think, you know, getting really clear on what it's going to take for you to prioritize sex and your connection with each other long after that spark and that honeymoon stage has faded because that doesn't last forever. You can always go chase after the spark and there's things you can do to nourish your relationship. And you can certainly keep the flame alive, but it takes work and time and energy. And a lot of people either don't have it, they don't want to put it in, they think that it's not necessary. We've been sold a lot of myths about relationships over the years as a society. So I think that that is the most important thing is just making it a priority with each other and recognizing all the things that are going to have an impact on it. So, you know, having a adjusting to a new job, having a child, moving, death in the family, all these things impact our desire for sex and to act like they don't or they wouldn't really is kind of absent-minded. So I think people just need to be informed and communicate about those things. Okay, so say somebody has been in a relationship for 10 years. Yeah. What are some of the ways in which you're helping them reignite this sexual connection? Is it scheduling? Is it trying Mm -hmm. new things? Is it toys, different locations, like... Yeah, what do you I mean, I guess it probably depends. For like, sure. But I'm sure there's some like generic yeah. tips or generic yeah. things to think about. I mean, all of the above, yes, is my answer. But yeah, I think one of the things that I like to do is help people have pleasure dates. And that can be doing something that is pleasurable to them. It could be something that's sexual, it could be something that is physically close, it could be something that just brings some pleasure in their relationship. So first understanding their relationship to pleasure. If they're trying to connect more erotically, you know, helping them understand like where what would help them get into an erotic space mentally, because it's not so much physically what you're doing, but it's often more of the blocks mm. I find are more mentally because the person's not really, you know, they're in their bedroom and it's cluttered with kids' toys and laundry and they just don't feel sexy <laughs> at all. Ugh, or a TV. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Literally. We have so many distractions and it's not sexy. So yeah, like when people go to a hotel room or they go on vacation, sometimes they do feel like they can step away you know, how can you make an oasis in your home so that you can feel mm. like you can connect? And, you know, there's that new show about building a sex room, right? Like there's reasons why people need these spaces. So um, a lot that. of it is that. Yeah, I, think, I think people don't talk enough about the mental that like mm-hmm. physically you may or may not want it. Right. But getting mm-hmm. there mentally, I think is it's that's such an, a good point of, of thinking about how what you need to get there mentally mm-hmm. so that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's I, I think that when. when I feel the best, like maybe it's not always on the top of my mind. Physically, I'm not like, oh, I want to have sex right now. But there's mental dexterity where if something does stimulate or if there is a connection, I'm like open and excited. I think all too often when you get in the pattern of life, you're like, that's so much work. I'm not connected to my partner. He didn't unload the dishwasher. And Mm -hmm. like, I feel fat. So there is like all these hurdles versus like Mm -hmm. a house of yes, where you're just kind of like that. Actually, let's not forget that makes me feel really good. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I want versus it's a, what would you call that? Something you have to do a chore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. And 
Lauren, what you're talking about is responsive desire. So we know there's different types of sexual desire. You can be, you know, have a sort of a spontaneous desire for sex or, right, you may have that emerge once you get started. So if you can remind yourself, oh, this has been a fun activity. Once I get started, am I open and willing to try this? It starts happening. You start to enjoy it. The desire emerges in response to it. Um, The problem most people have is that it's hard to, they have a lot of things that are blocking them from experiencing that. And so, you know, working through those things are very important and part Mm. of the work often. I like that. I think also like something we hear a lot is, I love that you said pleasure dates, but it's not about scheduling sex, right? Like it's, it's still, I think that becomes something that people are like, it's, it becomes a chore when you're like on Tuesdays at, you know, Mm -hmm. nine, the children have been like, that just doesn't sound, I feel like that takes the Mm -hmm. fun out of it. Right. So thinking about pleasure dates from understanding of just connecting to pleasure in different ways versus like Mm -hmm. this has to happen at two o'clock on X date because our nanny's here. Yeah. It might have to. Can't relate, but, <laughs> but sounds. I mean, I bring it on at two two p.m., but that's I can't, still can't relate. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think some scheduling sex can work for some people, but I'm much more of the opinion of schedule the time, and then once that time happens, choose what you want to do with that time when you're feeling it. So that activity is spontaneous, but when the demands of your life are such that you would, it wouldn't happen if you didn't have that time scheduled, it is important for Mm. many people. And that is usually people who have young children, a lot of jobs, somebody who travels for work, you know, it's, it's when life feels really full. Um, Certainly not everyone, but that's, that's when I think it, it happens or it's most necessary for people. What are you seeing as ways that people are just exploring? So say somebody is having sex, but it might feel like, oh, we've done that. You know, what Mm -hmm. are some of the new or ways or what are people finding as ways to expand their Mm -hmm. sexual experiences? And and, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, just getting turned on by new things, new things. Yeah. Yeah. Mm I love to invite people to engage in sensation play. So we know that, that, first of all, there's a lot of household objects people can use to elicit different sensations. A lot of people, when they think about sex, they're in, they're like, oh, I really like it rough or I really like it really gentle. But there's different, there's different than just body parts. So using like a spoon on the back of your arm to see what kind of that sensation that elicits. Um, feathers, using something like a rope um, to rub against you, like different engaging in different sensations. Um, there's all these massage oils that you can now use. Like it's a candle and you could pour the wax on someone. Mm. Um, there are certain toys that are developed. They're pleasure devices, as I like to call them, that you can put in the freezer or you can heat them up so they conduct with temperature. Yeah. So playing with sensation is something that I often encourage people to do because it helps them understand different things that they um, may like and also drive their attention to the sensations they're feeling, which is really just a good exercise for themselves. Yeah. And to move away from chasing the orgasm. Right. Mm -hmm. Or just thinking that the only tools you have are the two, like your body, like there are Mm -hmm. other things. It's, there's no shame in bringing in other things. Mm -hmm. We are huge. Like we (laughs) were for you ambassadors, even though (laughs) they haven't asked us to be ambassadors, but we, no, I'm going to reach out. I I have already. Um, 
<laughs> so with that being said, Foria is one of our favorite go-tos in terms of just like leveling up and just like amazing sensation. Are there any other brands? I mean, the hot and cold, like any other brands that you love to lean into for either pleasure? What did you call them? Pleasure? Pleasure devices. Ooh, I love that. Pleasure devices um, or just brands in general. Um, brands, I, I mean, I think of anything that's going to be sustainable, organic. I always tend to invite people to think about, um, I love, um, locally in Chicago, early to bed is a great, um, sexuality retailer and they have mm. an online store. Cool. Um, also, um, the pleasure chest is, has classes and has a lot of different brands. So those are like two companies that we work with and their, their staff are, um, usually sexuality educators, which is great. So they can help provide really good guidance. Um, beyond that, there's there's not like one brand or another that I'm absolutely obsessed with, but mm-hmm. I think I'd just like to know what the products are and, and how they help folks. And um, there's a lot of really good ones out there. Perfect. I love that. Mm-hmm. Go shopping, friends. Go shopping. <laughs> or go shopping in your own home and find I, I love that, that is fun ice I mean, I feel like, yeah, I thought the spoon that just in the hot and cold, I think is really cool to play with. Mm-hmm. We love putting our, this has nothing to do with sex. We like to put our ice roller for our face in the freezer. Mm-hmm. And that brings me yep. to a ton of joy. So yeah. what can we Turn do sexually? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Good re- spatula, you know. Spatula. Things do, okay. Good that. reminder. Are you seeing a disparity in interest amongst couples where, you know, potentially one is, one wants to be trying, quote unquote, wild things and and the other is less interested. Yeah, I think desire discrepancies of all kinds t- are very very common in all partnerships. So when somebody wants sex in one way and somebody wants it in another way or someone wants it and someone else doesn't want it as much, both of those are incredibly common. Um there are certainly a lot of people who are in what I like to call interkink relationships. So somebody may be um more kinky than another person and so navigating how do we invite the kink in or the activity in while also, you know, people holding on to what feels good for them. Um, So I think, you know, there's a lot of, this is where the communication skills come in to play. We learned about that sexual like blueprint, like figuring out what you are. And I think that's an amazing activity for people to do together because, I mean, A, it's good just self-knowing. You probably know what you are, but it's always good validation. But then bringing that to the table so that you at least understand where you're both coming from. Maybe you both like sex, but like you said, one's kinky, one likes you know, gentle, romantic, you know, whatever it may be. Sensual. Sensual. Yeah. Some like, yeah, mm-hmm. some like to make love. There is a spiritual one. There is a spiritual one. I'm sure you're that. Okay, just, <laughs> um, you have to take the survey. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> I was like, you don't probably have to take it. So I know you talked at the beginning about kind of different things people come to you for, right? Mm-hmm. Across the spectrum. Yeah. One thing you talked about was pain and yeah. performance anxiety. So I'm sure that's more common than people are willing to talk about, right? But so I guess, how does someone, you feel it physically, you know that either you can't maintain an erection, you can't get up or it hurts when you have sex. So so I guess people, when they, they feel those signs and they come to you and how do you navigate some of, I know those are two different things, but yeah. how do you navigate that world? Because I feel Absolutely. like it's way more physical and science-based, if you will. 
Yeah. Well, so with performance anxiety, and that can show up amongst a lot of different people, you know, we want to understand, is there is there any medical component? And for many people that I work with, it is much more anxiety based. They had a partner that shamed them for not having an or um, not having an erection or losing an erection. We know erections change, stimulation changes when people switch positions, when they um, are feeling nervous with a new partner, when they've been drinking or Mm -hmm. under the influence of any kind of substances. So, you know, I think being able to recognize some of the the past patterns that have caused them to be in like their head often or having, I don't love the term in your head, but really stuck in, in like a narrative that's just not serving their sexual wellness and helping them to break free of that and then be more mindful and, and engage again and, and regain confidence. Also, a lot of people um, who grow up with penises are really trained to become premature ejaculators because they end up trying to explore their bodies and um, masturbate as quickly as possible because they don't have privacy. So people kind of condition themselves hmm. to doing that on um, a regular basis as a, as a young person. And, you know, that can carry over into their teen and adolescent and emerging adult years. And then eventually they'd have to unlearn that. So, you know, it's really not a surprise, especially on younger people that that's that's a big thing that's going on that is super interesting super valid do you talk with your patients about edging i do talk with them about edging tell me more about edging (laughs) okay so what i understand is edging is essentially taking yourself or or with your partner to the place Mm -hmm. of almost orgasming Mm -hmm. but pulling back and then Mm -hmm. doing it again and pulling Mm -hmm. back and as many times as kosher in, in that moment but essentially increasing your stamina yeah good yeah, work thank you yeah. good good work stamina, stamina. <laughs> we often finish each other stamina sentence. because um you have a little bit more mental restraint and control mm-hmm. yeah it's a fun um it's a fun activity to engage in if somebody likes the kind of teasing aspect or the restraint especially in a um in a relational or partnered sex. Um, it's, it's often a like pleasure enhancement tool and it doesn't matter what body parts you have, anybody can do it. And so it's kind of leaning into your, if, if orgasm for you happens at a nine out of 10 in terms of arousal, um, leading up to a seven, coming back down to a four, going up to a, to an eight, coming back down. Like it's kind of like changing something up that can help increase the intensity of an orgasm. Edging. I like that. Um, from a science perspective, is whiskey yes. dick really a thing? Like what happens? Like why is it then when people are men or women? I mean, is it yeah. is it in both? And yeah, tell us, mm-hmm. talk to us. So alcohol is a depressant, right? When the, it's a depressant on the nervous system, causes changes of blood flow, makes it harder for hmm. anything that's not good for the heart, right? Good for blood flow, good impact directions. Hmm. So that's one of the main reasons without going too in depth. Yeah, no, that it. that is like literally that makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Thank you. You just became sad and so did your penis. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh um, man. Okay, well let's end it on a high note. We've just got a bunch of gals hanging out here. Like what's an exercise that you would recommend for a woman in exploring and pleasuring herself? I really, really love like body appreciation exercises. So people to, um, you know, whether it be standing in front of a mirror and like naming parts of their body that they really appreciate. I think that there's a lot of messages that tell women that they, their bodies need to be 
taken apart or criticized, and I'm not here for that. So um, I often recommend that or um, like mindfulness based touching exercises. So you could even close your eyes and just, you know, use your hand to touch different parts of your body and notice like what that feels like using the back of your hand, fingertips, um, front of your hand, kind of exploring those sensations that we talked about and just seeing if any new sensations are elicited for you. I think anytime we're trying to um, really focus on sensation in a different way, we have an opportunity to learn something about ourselves. And would you say the same for our male listeners? Is there any different techniques or different tips or tricks? I think yes, in that exploring um, different types of touch. I also think that, um, you know, really examining if, if they are having a lot of um, performance anxiety that being able to understand like where this came from and, mm. and not reach and being able to reach out for support. Um, many sexual problems that are, in my experience that are um, shorter term and they're less complex are pretty easy to address. So when people reach out sooner rather than later and males tend to reach out for therapy significantly less often than females do. So, um, that's something that I would encourage people to do is reach out because the sooner you go to address a sex related issue, the more likely and um, those outcomes are going to be greater for you. It's, you know, when something's been going on for 15 years and it's even mm-hmm. not doing anything about totally. it. So I wish There's it'll a go deep away groove then for sure. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you. I know that you this have is a, fun. It's so fun. You have a lot of different clients. I know we talked a lot about individuals and couples, but I know you do a lot for parents as well and mm-hmm. the birds and the bees and all that fun stuff. Um, you have a sex positive parenting course. Am I right on that? I do. I do. It's called Building Ease, Talking About the Birds and the Bees. Amazing. And it's a six-lesson self-paced class and online platform. Caregivers can do it over the course of a month or they can do lifelong um, access. And it helps them be more confident and learn how to address these kinds of sexuality-related conversations in their home with the young people in their lives. Just so So important. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Everything from bodies to consent to boundaries to internet safety, gender identity, all the all the things we're talking about them and Amazing. giving them some roadmaps for again. You are so graciously sharing a code with our friends to get mm-hmm. I believe it's twenty twenty percent off. Is that right? Mm-hmm. How can people find you and where would they, they find you? Find- yeah, absolutely. They can find us online at EmbraceSexualWellness.com or on Instagram at EmbraceSexualWellness. We share a lot of sex positive content and hope people can spread that. We those. appreciate you. We will be. Yeah, we will be for sure. We appreciate you. We appreciate your work. And honestly, you are, you. are I feel like you bring and empower all of us to talk about it in a way more accessible, digestible, honest way. So thank you for being you. And we would probably love to keep talking, but we look forward to continuing the conversation soon. Thank you so much, friend. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Friends, this has been fun. Thanks for spending some quality time with us. If you need more of us in your life, we totally get it. Follow us on Instagram at Podcast. Also, we aren't selfish. Tell us what you need and want to learn more about by sending us a note at wellbehavedpodcast at gmail.com or slide into our DMs. We prefer that anyway. Until next time, stay well and somewhat behaved.